Well, good morning. I encourage you today to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. You can put a marker or finger, or if you have a screen, I don't know how you're going to do it, right? You're just going to have to have a swipe over to Colossians chapter 3 in just a minute. But we'll be looking at Colossians, but primarily our text today is is Romans chapter 15, verse 14. As we continue our series, Life Together, we're working through several one another passages in the New Testament, uh, looking at what it looks like to be a community of believers uh, by the grace of God for the glory of God and how we live out life together in the context of a local church. Today we're looking at uh, the topic of what it means to instruct one another, to instruct one another from Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Let's read this together. I myself, Paul says, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit to give us understanding of what it means to instruct one another, to be learners of one another, Lord, in the context of a community of believers. God, may we be a church, faithful instructors of one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Where do you go when you have trouble? To answer that question, you may, it may well depend on the type of trouble you have. Right? If you have car trouble, you would go to a mechanic. If you have heart trouble, you would go to a cardiologist. If you have termite trouble, you would go to an exterminator, pest control company. It depends on the kind of trouble or the kind of issues you have. And to think about that, it would be absurd for us to take our car issues to the pest control company. Or it would be just as Absurd for us to call the cardiologist to come treat our home for termites, unless that's how he paid his college, working in pest control. Yet, when it comes to certain kinds of trouble in our lives, or certain issues in our lives, temptation to sin, relationship struggles, major life decisions, we tend to do just that. We will often, even Christians, seek to pursue wisdom and answers from those around us who may have completely different worldviews. Maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor or even a family member that thinks completely different from a Christian worldview, and yet we will often go seek their counsel and advice in serious matters. As we continue in this series, we want to know what it means to be instructors of one another and what we find here in Romans chapter 15 is that Paul gives us a perspective and really a a, somewhat of a person in this in this last section of what he's dealing with in Romans he's giving a series of personal exhortations as he concludes this this amazing letter and in the midst of this he is saying listen I am I am confident about you that you're able to speak into each other's lives in a way that will be beneficial. There there are issues that will come about in the Christian life. There are things that we will experience that we have help for. 
We have people around us that God in his grace has put in our context to come alongside of us to speak into our lives to help us deal with the issues that we will face and even the troubles that we will encounter. Paul gives this perspective here in Romans 15 and he insists that these believers are capable of instructing each other. They're capable of instructing each other. Another way that you can look at this kind of exhortation is to see that in the Christian community, we are to be a people that learn from one another. We are to be a people that learn from one another. And so the Lord has so arranged his church, he has placed us together as a family so that we can be mutually encouraged. Friend, do you realize that that the body of Christ exists for mutual benefit, ultimately for the glory of God. But you are here not merely to be blessed or merely to be served, but you are also here to be a servant, to be an instrument in God's hands to impact other people's lives. The Bible talks about how the church exists to be built up, how we are gifted even to build others up. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways that we encourage one another in the faith and in life is by providing varying levels of instruction. Here's the overall point of what I want to communicate today. It is every Christian's responsibility to be actively involved in the disciple-making process, including providing biblical instruction to help others. If you're a Christian, it is partly your responsibility as a Christian to benefit other Christians by speaking truth into their lives. Now, I know that I can already hear the hesitation. Well, I'm not a teacher, Pastor. I'm not a teacher. I'm not called to teach. Don't ask me to teach. I'm not capable. Well, I know the Lord does call and gift certain individuals to teach and lead the flock. He calls elders to shepherd. He, he, he calls others to, to teach in particular roles and, and, and ways in the church that's more formal. But listen, that does not mean that the rest of you, that the rest of you have no role in some type of biblical instruction. That does not mean that if you're not called to be a teacher in a formal setting or an elder to shepherd the church, that does not mean that you're only to be a receiver. It doesn't mean that. So I want to flesh that out with us this morning. What does that look like in the context of a local church? Again, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not just a receiver, but in some way, God calls you to be an instructor. And I know that term is going to trip us up a little bit this morning, but that's what we're talking about. So we're going to look at Romans 15 and several text, uh, other texts, especially in the book of Colossians, to see why you and I not only are called to do this, but why we are able to do this. Why we are able to be instructors, one of another to help each other for one another's good. So I want us to consider several things today as we are called to instruct others. Why are you and I able to instruct one another? Well, we see several things right here in Romans 15, verse 14. There are actually three observations that we see from this text. 
why you are able to instruct others. Let's just walk through them together, and then towards the end, we'll flush this out more practically. Number one, Paul says, he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're full of goodness. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I didn't think we were so good. Paul says, I'm satisfied about you, that you yourselves are full of goodness. That's quite a statement. Well, what goodness is he referring to? After all, that seems to contradict what Paul had said in Romans 3. Because in Romans 3, verse 10, he says, None is righteous, no, not one. There's there's no one who is good or does good. And now he's saying in Romans 15, verse 14, You are full of goodness. How do you you sort through that? What does that mean? Seems like there's a contradiction. What, What is Paul getting at there? Well, if you look at the context even, and you look at the context of of Romans 15, just prior to verse 14, we have verse 13, where Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Many scholars believe that Paul's reference there to the Holy Spirit informed his, his writing of the next verse, where you think about the power and work of the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit of God that, that gifts people. We talk about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, where, where those manifestations of goodness come from. Come, It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul's not referring here to some kind of natural goodness that we have on our, on our own. But with that which the Spirit of God is able to produce in us for those who have been saved by grace. This is not an earned goodness. It's a conferred or bestowed kind of goodness. Romans 3 verse 10 is true. On our own, we are not good when we compare ourselves to a holy God. All of us fall short. All of us are sinners. And all of us deserve God's righteous judgment for our sin. That's true of all of us here today. If you're here today and you're breathing, you and I are a sinner. We've fallen short of the grace of God. On our own, we are not good enough. Now, if you compare yourself to other people, you may think a little differently. You'll say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm pretty good. I fare quite well when I I look at these people. We're not comparing you to others. We're comparing you to holiness. It's a whole different standard altogether. And yes, when you look at that, all of us are, are... Sinners, all of us have fallen short of God's glory. And on our own, we are not good in the standard in which God has called us. In fact, we've rebelled against him and we deserve his judgment. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, that's your condition right now. Sinners separated from God, not good on your own, deserving of judgment. But God, in his goodness, in his grace, sent his only son to this world, his perfect son, lived a life of perfection and righteousness, obeyed the law fully and completely, and yet went to a cross and paid the price for sin. He put himself as a substitute on the cross for sinners so that if you would look to him and believe in him, your sin 
would be forgiven, you would be pardoned, and Christ's righteousness would be credited to you. That's amazing. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, that is your hope. I would encourage you, I I I would tell you that that's the most important thing you will ever hear. Not because I said it. Because that's the message of the Bible, that God is so good that he loves those who aren't good so that he can bring them to himself and transform them. If you're not a believer, friend, cry out to Jesus. Ask him to save you. Ask for this grace that he extends. That is your hope. Friend, you will never be good on your own. So this goodness that we're talking about, this full of goodness, is not a natural goodness that the Roman Christians just happened to have that no one else did. It was a conferred goodness. It was a transformative work of God where they were bearing fruit in their lives. So for those who have met Christ in a saving way, they will begin to pursue a life marked by goodness. Again, we have to always clarify because we easily get this distorted We are born again. We are saved. We are brought into the kingdom of God. All of those mean the same thing. We are brought from death to life, not by our goodness, but by the righteous work of God in Christ. Then we begin a work of transformation. Because of our salvation, we begin to reflect fruit and goodness. That emerges from what happened to us. It's not the reverse that the world likes to think today. If I just do enough good, maybe God will accept me. No, God accepts you on On the basis of Christ's goodness alone, by grace alone, you responding to him in faith alone. Then you receive the Holy Spirit. Then you begin to see goodness happen because the Lord's at work in you. In Colossians chapter 1, we see a bit of this taking place. Paul says there in verse 3, we thank God, or we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. That's what the gospel does. It changes people. It bears fruit and it grows as it does also among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Yet, friends, when we think about what Paul says back in Romans 15, that we're able to instruct one another, many of us would say, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not good enough. And we make excuses. I'm just not able to have such an impact on others. Friend, again, you aren't by yourself. But if you have been saved you have the holy spirit in you and you are able to have some kind of of good impact you are full of goodness not your own but that which christ has worked in you and you are able to instruct because of this goodness that's been bestowed and is increasing fruit in your life so we're full of goodness and we don't hear that very often do we in fact we often hear how how the, the, the opposite how we're not good, and we focus on that so that we magnify the grace of God. But right here it is in our text. Because of grace, there is now this goodness that we can refer to. So we're full of goodness. Number two, filled with knowledge. Filled with knowledge. He said you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Now obviously it's not a reference to all general human knowledge. There's plenty that we don't know, right? Newsflash. 
telling you right now, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. It's not a reference to general human knowledge where we know everything. We're full of all knowledge. We know everything there is to know. There's plenty we don't know. I know I'm still trying to convince some of my kids of that. I'm trying to convince myself of that from time to time. He's referring to the knowledge of God's truth, specifically, most likely, the gospel. Paul is affirming here the doctrinal soundness of the the believers here at Rome. This is a church that had been established about 10 years prior. And he's affirming them in their understanding of the truth, understanding of the gospel. Something very important to Paul, so much so that we find him praying for this kind of knowledge in various places. Again, if we go back to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, if you go down to verse 9, listen to what Paul prays. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is that? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. The knowledge and the goodness are connected it's a prayer that Paul prayed in chapter 2. He goes on in verse, uh, in verse 2. I want you to know, verse 1, he says, The great struggle I have for you and for all of those who do not see me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What a glorious thing to pray for in one another's lives, that we would be filled with knowledge. Paul's affirming that of the to the church here at Rome, he says, listen, you are filled with knowledge. You get it when it comes to the gospel. You get it when it comes to the truth. Again, Paul doesn't mean that they know everything, even everything about the scriptures. It doesn't mean that they have every theological argument perfected. But it does mean that they have a good, faithful, healthy, working knowledge of the truth. If they didn't, now they have the book of Romans, which is a masterpiece. You know, there are several errors in the church that we need to be aware of when it comes to this being filled with knowledge. A couple of things that we want to avoid, because again, there could be excuses here. Well, I don't know everything I need to know. So let's, let's talk about that. Number one, there are those who often sell themselves short. There are some people in the church that act like that they just can't be useful in the kingdom because they don't have a seminary degree. I'm pro-seminary. I think it's a great thing. Oftentimes, though, Christians will say, I'm just not comfortable talking about the Bible or Christian life issues because I don't know enough. They're afraid to speak to certain issues. Friend, if you're reading your Bible, you're seeking to apply it, and you're being encouraged by the body of Christ and held accountable to the truth through the local church, then you are much more capable than you think. I want you to hear what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence. That is a critical verse. Do you hear what Peter says? He says, His divine power has given to you some things. Is that what he says? No, he says, 
all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, the things that you need to live by in this life, expecting the life to come. Everything you need as a Christian, Peter says, you have it. You have it. You have the Holy Spirit that has indwelled you at conversion. You have the Word of God that He has given you. You have every tool you need to be filled with knowledge and useful in the kingdom of God. There is no excuse. It's the Word of God that makes us wise and full of knowledge, not necessarily a seminary degree. They're helpful. They're good. Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Being filled with knowledge. Don't sell yourself short. But, be aware of the second category. There are those who think they know more than they really do. And you know that person. They always have something to say about everything. Even the Bible. Even if it's totally wrong. They think that they're an expert on everything. They like to hear themselves talk. And friends, it's really okay to admit you don't know every answer. It's okay to admit that I don't know. You don't have to try to come up with some some answer. If you don't know the answer, then you need to go study and seek it, certainly. But there are those who think that they know more than they really do. I think that that's probably... More the minority versus the first category, those who sell themselves short. But then there are another, there's another category that we need to be aware of, is that those who advise with worldly counsel. Now, you even hear this in the church. Well, my opinion is, well, my opinion is okay if it's in alignment with Scripture, right? Because then it's no longer your opinion, it's backed up by truth. Fact. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How often, though, that we seek counsel, we seek instruction in people who will give us that very thing. Worldly philosophies, empty deceit, human tradition, their opinion. Be careful with that. Christians, you should never give worldly counsel. Even if it's worldly matters, even if it's, if it's shaped in a, in a context that really is outside of the church, you should be speaking as a Christian into those kinds of contexts. And number four, there are those who refuse to consistently seek growth. It goes back sort of probably tied to the first one. They don't feel competent because they're not disciplined. They don't prioritize consistent Bible reading or memorization, heavily dependent upon what others say and teach. So you could have 10 pastors come up here saying 10 completely different things. They'll believe every one of them. Dangerous. Well, we should be like good Bereans, right? Studying the scriptures to see if what's daily, to see if what's being said is true. I've told you before, you have my permission You have my permission to analyze everything I say based upon God's word. And if it's outside of the bounds of scripture, please come rebuke me. Because we have to consistently seek growth. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You can't teach and admonish unless the word of Christ is dwelling in you. You have to have something to communicate. So we should pray for that kind of knowledge. We should pursue that kind of knowledge. You are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. And then he says, number three, you are able to instruct. Some translations use the word admonish there. Able to instruct. Because of this goodness and knowledge, we are able to instruct one another. The word instruct has the idea of encouraging, warning, advising. It comes through the Greek word nutheteo, which we get the word nuthetic from, nuthetic counseling. Something we believe very much in here, which is also known as biblical counseling. Able to instruct. You're able to bring God's word to bear in people's lives, to encourage them, to warn them, to admonish them. Usually when we think of instruction, we think of a couple of things. We think, well, God teaches me through his word. And then we think, well, there are the leaders in the church, the elders or the pastor or, or, or or some teacher that you refer to in the church, and you think they're the ones that teach me. God teaches me, his spirit helps me, and then God calls certain people in the church to be the teachers of the church. But how often do you think of the entire church as being that third category? How often do you think about the people sitting around you as being your fellow instructors? Or how often do you think of yourself, even if you're not a teacher, as being part of the instructors, being part of the body who can pour out God's word into other people's lives. So let's look at a couple of practical things as we conclude this thought today. Well, if we're full of goodness, if we're filled with knowledge and we're able to instruct, where do we start? Who do we instruct? He says one another. Does that mean that I'm responsible for teaching everybody? Does that mean I need to just, when I say I, I'm talking about you. Does that mean you need to, to just begin to going down the church directory and, and calling everybody and say, I, I need to teach you something? <laughs> I don't recommend that approach. People may get the wrong idea about you. Well, who do you instruct? Well, the most obvious place for you to help others is within the local church. I'm not saying, we talked about this in our our equip class this morning, that you should never help other Christian friends or Christian neighbors or Christian co-workers or Christian family members. There's always a place for that. You should be seeking to do as much good to other believers and even non-believers for that matter as you possibly can. Yet, the local church ought to be the priority in which you invest your time as a discipler, as one who's instructing other believers and here's a few reasons why we gave 10 in our disciple equip classes discipling equip class i'll give you three number one you have a limited time you have limited time you can't possibly instruct everyone and on top of that you have limited well i'll give you four you have limited gifts right you can only speak from so many experiences and so many ways that god has gifted you but you should certainly speak from those you, you should speak from those, but you have limited time. And so, so if you begin trying to ex- extend yourself in other people's lives, you ought to prioritize the local body of believers that God has placed you in for the mutual edification of the church, for the building up of the body together. Another reason is that there's greater accountability within the local church. You're, as you're instructing, you're, you're being held accountable and you have help. 
you're, maybe you're meeting with someone and you're speaking truth into their lives and you're just stuck. You're like, I don't know what to do at this point. And you can have an assist come alongside. Say, hey, brother, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is going through this time and I'm just really struggling in how to, 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 to counsel them. What, what would you say to this matter? And maybe they know. And if they don't know, maybe they know someone else in the church that knows. Another reason is that it contributes to the greater unity of the church. Again, we're here for the mutual edification of one another. So I think we should at least prioritize, begin in the local congregation that God has placed us in. Not saying that other Christians outside of this local church aren't important. They are very important. You should invest in people as God gives you opportunity, but especially so within the local church. A couple of things I would say about that just further press down as far as who we instruct. I would say a couple of things. Number one, begin in your household. Sometimes we're looking around, we're looking around, and right there they are, <laughs> right in front of us. Look, begin in your household. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As parents, parents, you have an immediate context for this kind of instruction. You've heard me say this time and time again, and I'll say it again and again. It's not ultimately Scott Stringer, our student director's job, to instruct your teenagers. He will do that, along with his host of volunteers that help him. He will certainly do that. But it's not just his job to do that. It's not just our children's ministry workers' job to instruct your kids. They're going to pour a lot of time into instructing them, for which we should all be grateful. But friends, as parents, you have the foremost responsibility to instruct your children in the truth. Another thing you should consider is Titus chapter 2. In Titus chapter 2, we, we see there's sort of a model that Paul sets forth for Titus there as he's, as he's encouraging him. He's talking there about the older women teaching the younger women, the older men teaching the younger men. Titus 2, verses 1 through 8. You can read that, and you can sort of see a, a pattern develop there. Again, friends, you can just look around and see who the Lord's put in your context. Who's in your home group if you're part of a home group? If you're not in a home group, who, who are people around you that, that you're building relationships with? If, you're, if you could say, I don't have any, then pursue people. Build relationships. Be willing to be uh, invested in. There's a pattern there. What about those you're serving in ministry alongside? New members, new, new faces to our congregation. There's plenty of opportunity. As far as the who, it's, it's unlimited in a sense. But how do we instruct? What do we do when we, when we are able to, to, to encourage? What does it look like? Does it mean I have to meet with someone and open a, a new study guide up and, and work through a study guide? What does it look like to instruct? Well, it looks like many things. It may be giving advice when they come to you when they're struggling. It may be just meeting with them to hold them accountable over an issue. It may be that you're meeting just for mutual benefit and edification. Maybe you are reading a book together. Maybe you're just praying together. Maybe you're just seeking to meet regularly to encourage. Again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, Colossians 3 says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So you're teaching formally and informally. Discipling relationships are something that we... All of us should be pursuing. If you are a disciple, you should be discipling. You say, well, I don't know if I'm a disciple. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're a disciple, and you are responsible for discipling others. All of us have that obligation. All of us have that responsibility. 
We are to admonish. This implies a bit more direct instruction in a correcting manner. Calling people to account. Counseling is often a way that this can take place. We're coming alongside of someone who's, who's maybe out of line and, and correcting and, and, and encouraging them in the truth. You notice that Paul says in, in Colossians 3, singing? Do you realize that in our corporate singing just a few minutes ago, you were instructing? I bet none of you thought about that. The only reason I thought about it is because I'd studied it up this week. Did you think about that you were instructing other people as you were singing today? Or you just thought you were singing to the Lord? Part of the responsibility that we have in corporate worship, in singing, congregational singing, is that we're encouraging each other as we sing truth together about the Lord, to the Lord, and to build up one another. There's this idea of modeling and imitation as well, that we should model the truth, and we can see more and more about that in the Scriptures. Because we can instruct in many different capacities. As we close this morning, I want you to to consider several questions. Where do you go for help? When you have trouble or when you have struggles or issues, good or bad, trouble is probably not all that good, but even when you're wrestling through a decision that's not a bad thing, it's just I need to know what to do here. Where do you go for help? Who do you seek for wisdom? Do you see the body of Christ as a great resource for you? Or is the body of Christ the last place you go? You, I've said this before. I remember in Tennessee, a lady that came to me, and I offered to, to meet with her to help her work through some issues. And she said, well, I've tried everything else. <laughs> Friends, this is the, one of the first places you should try. The body of Christ. God has given you these people, flawed as we are, for your good. Where do you go for help? Second question are you living a life that can be characterized as Romans 15, 14 says, a life full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct others? If not, why not? What changes need to be made? Number three, are you pursuing a life that seeks to intentionally build others up in the truth as you strive to regularly instruct others? Disciple others. Encourage others. Speak truth into their lives in whatever context. Are you pursuing that kind of life relationally relationally with other people? And number four, are you actively seeking to learn from other Christians? I'm not talking about the pastor, the elders, or your teacher, your small group leader, but even the people around you. Are you seeking to to learn from other Christians? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Friend, we all need instruction. We all need shepherding. We all need encouragement, exhortation. We all need admonishment, correction. Only a fool would despise that. Don't be foolish. Long for instruction and be willing to be used of God to instruct others for their good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your word. How it has been such a light in our hearts and help in our lives. Lord, we thank you that it's by your word that you change us, that you make us more like Christ. It's through your word that we hear the gospel and 
are able to understand who we are and how we can be reconciled with you. Lord, it's not as if you have left us in this world aimlessly, wandering about, trying to figure out life on our own. Father, you have given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you have given us the body of Christ. God, help us to realize that the church, the the body of believers, the brothers and sisters in our lives are there not just to to hang out with and have fun with, but Lord, to, to learn from. And Lord, to also be used to teach others. God, would you help us be humble and realize that we need one another. We need one another so that we can be built up. We need one another so that we can be held accountable. We need one another so that we can learn more about what it means to be a Christ follower. Help us to be willing to learn from each other. And Lord, help us to be willing to be this kind of believer, full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct. Lord, I pray, my prayer is that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would be a congregation filled with such people. God, would you help us to be just that for your glory. In Christ's name we pray.